You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Last time I spoke, I spoke about community and how we're moving from the style of groups that we do on, uh, in the weeks. Uh, we're going to call them life groups. And I just wanted to draw your attention to the weekly e-bulletin that you get sent to you by email. And if you don't, um, then you can, you can request for that to be sent to you. Uh, at, in, in there, there is a link for you to click uh, if you would like to submit uh, um, a proposal for a life group. Um, and it will take you through uh, what sort of questions you might want to ask yourself about whether it's appropriate, whether it's the sort of thing we're looking for. I'd love to see many of the style of groups that we already have continuing. So if you're a small group leader, that's the place to just say, yeah, we're going to continue the kind of group that we're doing in the term times. Okay, so I just wanted to draw your attention to that. We're going to be looking uh, at God speaking to us today. I wonder if if you have ever felt God spoken to you. What would you do if God spoke to you? What would you do? How would you handle it? I, I, I sometimes have thought of Noah being told that uh, I'm going to flood the earth and you need to build an ark. And that's what he had to go on for months and months and months. That God had spoken to him and he was going on God's word. He was going to believe God's word. And there must have been many times when he looked up at the blue skies and thought, what am I doing? What is this? What am I? And people were mocking him. And his own children probably asked him, Daddy, are you sure? Are you sure about this? And there must have been many moments that he went through thinking, I'm just holding on to the fact that God spoke. That's all I've got to hold on to. I trust God's word. If you look at Peter on the boat, one time Jesus says to him, Throw your net over on the other side. And he says, okay, I mean, I'm the fisherman here, but, you know, whatever you say. And then he realizes who he's speaking to, you know. Okay, but what? because you say so. Because you say so. Because you have spoken. And his nets are filled to overflowing, to almost breaking. Also, I think of where Mary, at the, the wedding at Cana, she, the, the wines run out and they're embarrassed. Oh, what are we going to do? The wines run out. And they come to her, Mary, what should we do? She says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I wonder if that would be your response if God spoke to you. I will do whatever he tells me to do. Even if it means against, swimming against the tide or running against the, the culture, I will do that. Well, today we're going to look at Paul's second letter to Timothy where he says, Timothy, hold on to the deposit that has been given to you. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you've got a Bible with you, if you haven't, it's on the screen. But as you're here today, I am passionate that you get a Bible and that you bring it with you and get familiar with it. Paul is writing to Timothy, and it might be worth knowing a little bit about their relationship. He's writing to him from prison. Timothy is like a son to him. He's like a spiritual son. Paul loves him. Very personally, he is invested time in him. He, uh, he, he says, I, I think of you, I think of you often in my prayers. I remember you, I remember your tears. And he loves Timothy. And he wants to write to him and uh, say, look, 
Timothy, hold on. Hold on to the teaching of the word of God. Hold on to the gospel. In spite of persecution and suffering, my charge to you is fight the good fight of faith. Stand strong against persecution and suffering. Continue. It's a very personal letter, as it seems to be that it's his last letter. He's, he's due to be executed, so he's writing to Timothy, knowing it's a very personal letter. He's writing to him as his friend, as even his son, before he's executed. And his last words, he wants him to, to, to know, I want you more than anything, more than anything, I want to, to say to you, Timothy, continue, push through, fight. Persevere, guard what you have in Christ Jesus. Don't be ashamed of it or turn from it as some have. He talks about how others have turned from it. Other people have turned from the teaching, have given up on it. And he says, don't be like them, Timothy. We know from the book of Acts and from Paul's letters to Timothy that Timothy's got a bit of a personality of being timid, of being fearful. Maybe you can relate to that. You know, yeah, I I can be quite fearful Especially when it comes to being open or bold about my faith, about standing in the promises of God. I can be quite timid and I can look around me and say, what, what does everyone else think? And Paul's saying, Don't, you haven't been given a spirit of timidity. You've been given a spirit of power. You've been given strength in what God has given you in the, in the gospel. There's a deposit of strength in the gospel and truth. I want to encourage you. I want to urge you. Paul knows it's a tough road ahead. And the urgency and gravity of his exhortation reflects the value he puts on the gospel. So he is urgent and he is passionate. He's speaking with gravity. Timothy, this is a matter of life and death. I'm not just saying, come on, it's good for you. It's fun, this new club. No, it's so important. Hold on to it. He puts so much value on the gospel. He's saying, hold on to this. this. You've been charged with this, this message. Carry it with you. Hold on to it when other people are against you, when you get persecuted, when uh, you have to go through dark, shadowy places, when you get attacked from the evil one. Hold on. Makes me think a little bit of Frodo in Lord of the Rings. You've got, you've got this journey to take. You've got to carry this thing. Take it to the end. Apart from Frodo's burden was a terrible one. Whereas Timothy's one is liberating word of God. It's what springs, life springs forth from the word of God. But there is still a heaviness to it. There is still a weight. There is still a having to swim against the tide, having to be against the preferences of others and even of himself sometimes. And Paul says, hold on. Let's look at chapter 3. And uh, before I get to our section, he, he begins chapter 3 by saying, There will be difficulty ahead. Then he explains, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Any teenagers in the room? Parents, nudge them. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He says they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. We see all of these things, don't we, today? All of these things are prevalent where people choose, why would I go with some old archaic book 
when my desires don't fit with that at all. I'm going to go with my desires. Not loving, uh, going for pleasure rather than going for what God has told me to. And he says here, always learning, but never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Isn't that so pertinent to us today? That we have many people, the people say today, there is no truth. I've got my truth, you've got yours. Paul knew this would happen thousands of years ago. He's saying, always learning. Very clever people, very wise people in the world's eyes, but still not arriving at a knowledge of the truth. These men oppose the truth. It sounds familiar to me. So what we're looking at today is the fundamental and central value that we put on the word of God, on what he calls us to live like, what he calls us to believe, what he calls us to do. Paul's speaking to Timothy about what it means to persevere as a Christian in a hostile world. So let's look at chapter 3, verses 10 to 16. Paul is going to contrast these people that have disqualified themselves by disregarding their faith and disregarding the word. He says, but you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions... I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So he says he endured persecutions, but the Lord rescued him. So which one is it, Paul? Did you endure them, or did the Lord rescue you? Well, he's saying, in my persecutions, the Lord rescued me. I held on to him through them. This is how you can endure persecutions, Timothy. Hold on to the Lord's words, hold on to his truth, and in your persecutions, he will rescue you. I meet with many people who are just discovering their, whether they believe in God or not, and if they want to get baptized, and just discovering, do I want to put my faith in this Jesus? And I think it's so important that as a church, we don't, and as Christians, we don't misguide people who are looking into Christianity by saying, become a Christian, and then everything will be rosy. Everything, it's almost like you get a red carpet to heaven. You just get on the conveyor belt and everything's fine for them. You get, you know, you get this community, everyone looks after you. And, and of course, we desperately want to tell people the good news. It's good news. But if we don't say, there's a cost here. Jesus says to follow me means laying down your life. Then we're going to uh, not be very helpful to our friends when they, they say, yeah, okay, I'll follow him. And then realize, oh, there was a hurdle. I don't know what to do now. Well, if we tell them there are going to be hurdles, there's going to be dark parts, it's going to be difficult. The world doesn't love Christians. Jesus was praying to the Father in John 17, and he says this, I have given them your word, and the word has hated, the world has hated them because they are not of the world. He's talking about what he's given us. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, which means help them to grow, help them to become righteous. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. 
So Jesus is saying, if you are a man or a woman of the word, you're not a man or a woman of the world. You choose, I will follow Jesus. Immediately, you're putting yourself against the world. And we need to recognize that as Christians. We choose Jesus, we're into battle immediately. We've got to choose, right, what am I going to do when persecution comes? And Paul is saying to Timothy, you have held strong so far. You've seen my uh, persecutions that I've been through. And then he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So he's saying, look, some people have gone their own way and they're going from bad to worse. You continue to go the right way and you will go from good to better. He says, remember from who you've learned this. And that's a good thing for some of us to remember. If you grew up in a Christian household, if you had Christian parents that introduced you to to the gospel, then Paul would say to you, remember that. People have loved you. People have wanted to share the gospel with you because they want your best. Because they have your best at heart. Maybe that isn't your story. Maybe you were introduced to the gospel by a friend. Well, think that friend wanted to start you out on a good path. They wanted your best. They wanted to introduce you to life. They wanted to introduce you to the king who comes to save sinners. Maybe you've learned the gospel in this church. We love you. That's why we're telling you the gospel. We want you to go from better to best, from good to better. We want you to grow and to know this God. P- Paul is saying to Timothy, remember who you've learned it from and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. You believe that? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Father, we just want to come to you now and uh, ask you, please would you open up the word to us. Help us to have ears to hear, soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and do what we can't do. Help us stir our affections for the word. Stir our affections for Jesus. Help us to trust you. Help us to do what Noah did, what Peter did, what Mary did, and say whatever he says, whatever he says, that's what I want to go by. Lord, we really ask you to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, thinking about why we're here today, I wonder why you're here. Have you got into a place where you come out of routine? You come uh, to meet people? Maybe it's uh, something you're doing because you want your kids to grow up with Christian morals, so you've come to church uh, to try and get them into that. Maybe you know it's a place where you're accepted, where people smile at you. Maybe you like the coffee. All these things are fine, but if we stop there, we're really falling short of what God's intending for us. Last month I spoke about how Christians are supposed to be people of the presence of the living God. We're a people of the presence of God. If we're not, it's questionable whether we're really Christians. We need to be in the presence of God. That's what he wants. He says, I want you to know me. I want, you to, I want to be with you. I want to live in you. 
I want to live amongst you. I want you to be the people of my presence. And in the last three weeks, we've looked at the Trinity. We're talking about foundational doctrinal things that we as Christians believe, we hold on to. And we finished last week looking at the Holy Spirit. And we are a church who want to be led by the Holy Spirit. We want so much to hear God's direction. We want so much to know the power of God. We want to keep praying for healings, which we've seen again this week. At the, at the prayer meeting, somebody came. She said, as she left her house, she could barely put weight on her foot. And, during the, and she said, God, I just want to go to this meeting, so I'm going to trust you. And during the meeting, as she was singing, it totally healed. That's what we want to be, a people of the presence of the Holy Spirit, led by him, enjoying him, overwhelmed by him. And today I want to look at how we also want to be a people of the word. And how these people are not, these two things are not opposed to each other. We're a people of the word because the spirit illuminates the word to us. And our spirits, uh, the, the spirit testifies to our spirit that this is trustworthy, that this is true. So, and we're a people of the Spirit because the Bible teaches us to be people of the Spirit. So they go together. We want to be both a people of the Spirit and a people of the Word. But we come to meet with God. We come to know God. That's why we come together on Sundays. That's why we look in the, the Scripture. We want to know Him, not just know about Him. I want to know Him. I want to be experiencing His presence. So today we're looking at the Word the Bible, Scripture, because that is where God has made himself fully knowable. We're people of the presence of the Spirit, but we believe also God wrote a book. Paul is saying to Timothy, this is God-breathed. The Scriptures are God-breathed. Earlier on I said to you, what would you do if God spoke to you? Today I want to say God has spoken to you. God has and continues to speak to you in this word. That's why we want to hold it so highly in this church. In some senses, I shouldn't even really need to say anything more, should I? I mean, if this is God-breathed, that's pretty good motivation, isn't it? I want to know what it says in here. I want to get to grips with this. I want to consume it. I want to be saturated in it. It's God-breathed, spoken by the great I Am, spoken by the King of, the, the King of Kings, the creator of all things. The one who was and is and is to come wrote this for us to know him. What scripture says, God says. Do you get that as a Christian? What this book says is what God says. You want to know truth? You want to know answers? You want to know the way you should think? You want to know the way you should understand your own heart? It's in his word. That's where we're going to go to for our authority. That's where we want to go to for our answers. And thank God, bless God, he's made it available to us. It's in my hand. The word of God, the living word of God is in my hand. What an incredible privilege. And sadly, often we leave it on the shelf, don't we? Or we, we grab it on a Sunday. Oh, better find the Bible wherever I put it. Haven't looked at it since last Sunday. And my aim today isn't to condemn you, but as we'll see, as we've already read, one of the uses of the Bible is um, to reproof. So maybe some of us will feel a bit of that today, of a bit of correction of, yeah, I need to know, know God more. An author called Kevin DeYoung says this, if the Bible really is God breathed, then why wouldn't we read it? Why wouldn't we study it, memorize it and teach it to others? 
Why would we build our churches on shallow soil of pragmatic philosophy? Why would we counsel with the leftovers of worldly wisdom? Why would we look first to the beauty of mountains or the echo chamber of the self in our moments of deepest pain and crisis? Why would we infuse our worship services with so little scripture? Why would we sing songs bereft of biblical substance? Why would we put anything above this word if we believe it is God-breathed? And I wonder, does this have any effect on you as you're sitting there? Do you think, yeah, this is actually true. This is amazing. Does it make you swoon? I wonder if it makes any of you swoon. Well, maybe you think that's a strange word. I wonder if any of you have written any poetry. Maybe when you were a child. I remember being child writing some love letters or poetry and maybe as a young teen um, and looking back on it now I don't think I have any of it but if I were I would probably cringe a lot I would think oh I can't believe I wrote that stuff trying to impress some girl and uh, when we look back at poetry from young children we can think oh you're being a bit too out there with your emotions and it's a bit bit too much. Well, let's look at Psalm 119, which is basically a whole love letter poem about the Word of God. And this section in particular, 129 onwards, it says this, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from, my, from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Sounds a bit over the top, doesn't it? bit emotional, a bit, you know, he's saying panting. I pant. I'm longing. I'm weeping streams of tears. It's kind of, some of us might think, really? I mean, who, who does that about this? Well, the point of what I want to say today is God's heart for you is that you do that about this. He really wants you to hold this so close to your heart, to hold it so highly in your life, that those words wouldn't be strange to us. That we would be desperate to know, God, what do you say about this? I want to know what you want me to do. I want to know where I should press in, press in or, or hold back. I want to know, what do you hold highly? What do you regard as, as righteous? What do you regard as, as holy and godly? God, teach me, train me. That's how he wants our hearts to be towards his word. It's the kind of passion that sent many martyrs to their death. I don't know if you've heard of William Tyndale in the 16th century who was killed because he interpreted the Bible into English so that common English people could read it. At that time, it was uh, only uh, in languages that common English people couldn't read and it was used by the church to oppress people and to manipulate people. And Tyndale read the gospel and was amazed by what he found there, that there was a God who isn't oppressive, who came to set the captives free. 
There's a God in here that says, I came that you may have life and life in abundance. A God that's, that saves sinners, doesn't condemn them, but saves them. And Tyndale found this truth in here and says, I've got to make this known to the common people. I've got to put this in English. So his life work became, I'm going to translate this into English, no matter how much danger it puts me in. I'm willing to go to my death for it. He moved to Germany where he could do it uh, safely. And he managed to translate the whole of the New Testament and a lot of the Old Testament. And then he was caught in 1535, taken to England, taken to London. You can still stand on the spot today. I was there a few weeks ago where he was strangled at the stake and then his body was burned in front of people. Because he valued this so highly, he thought, I'm willing to go to my death that others could know the story that is in here. They could know the God that has revealed himself in this book. And before he died, they gave him a last chance to pray. And he shouted out, God, open the King of England's eyes. That was his last request, his last prayer. And two years later, his prayer was answered as the King of England decreed that the Bible could be translated into English. And we all benefit from that today. People have died for the story in here. People have died so that we can get the story in here. It is so valuable. Even the short little excerpt that we read from Psalm 119 says, God's word is wonderful. It gives light. It imparts understanding. It keeps us steady. There's some great reasons to think, I want to invest in this. That sounds good. There's loads of other attributes we could talk about. I'll just breeze through a few here. It is living and active, Hebrews 4 says. The word of God is living and active. It can divide soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It can get in there and tell you where you need to separate things out, tell you uh, how you need to change your ways in a helpful way. It's living and active. It can cause differences in your life. The Holy Spirit supernaturally speaks through the word of God. Jesus, as we read in John 17, says, your word is truth. Jesus said it is true. That's a great attribute. I want to know the truth. People searching for truth all over the world. They seem to have graduated from this. I'll discard that, but I'll still look for truth. It's in here. Jesus Christ himself said, your word is truth. It is necessary for salvation, it says in 1 Corinthians 2. And it is final. It is above all things. In Acts 17, Paul has moved on from trying to speak to the people from Thessalonica about the gospel who have rejected it. And he goes on to Athens and he speaks to a group of people called the Bereans. And the Bereans, it says, are noble. And it's trying to contrast them from the people from Thessalonica who have disregarded the word. Because it says they are noble because they heard what Paul said and they searched the scriptures to see if it was true. The Bible says they were noble Jews. They, they, they looked. Does what Paul is saying, does it, does it line up with Scripture? And they found that it did, and therefore they accepted it. That must be our heart. We must, we must do that same thing. We must watch TV with discerning eyes and have conversations with discerning ears so that we know that's not in line with the Bible. I reject it. That is in line with the Bible. That's fine. We've got, and how are we going to do that? Because we've got to know it. We've got to be invested in it. We can't get to things and get... He's, he's saying to his friend here, Timothy, um, don't get deceived. 
The Bible says that the world is um, under the father of lies. That the father of lies, Satan, has got some grip on this world. That he's pulled the wool over men's eyes. That he has lied to people. So when we are Christians, we're not going to be loved. We're going to come under, under opposition. We're going to not hear Christian values on the radio or on TV or on the internet. Unless we're very purposeful about it. So we must know, how do I discern what I hold on to and what I disregard? Well, let's look to the Bereans. They search the scriptures to see, can what he's saying be trusted? I don't want to get my Bible out every time I watch TV. I'd rather be investing in this all the time so when it comes on the screen, I know that's rubbish. Let's be investing in it all the time. Don't wait for confusion, but but be strong where you stand. Jesus himself believed the scripture. He believed it was unbreakable as the word of God, which he always submitted to himself. Did you know that? Jesus always submitted to the word. He, he, he was God in human flesh, came to earth. He could have said, well, I'm God. I am the word. I don't need to do what that says. I'm much higher than that. But no, he didn't. He submitted himself to the word. He came under God's word. He believed it was God's, God breathed. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I come under the word of God. Even Jesus submitted himself to the word. He diligently learned it. He saturated himself with it and amazed people with his understanding and insight. He believed, this might help you, he believed the Old Testament stories as fact. Some of us think those Old Testament stories, some of them are so weird. Jesus believed them as fact. If you want to understand the Old Testament, a lot of the time look at the New Testament, especially what Jesus says about it. Well, all of the New Testament. It explains the Old Testament for us where we're lost. That helps me quite a lot to know, okay, Jesus took Jonah as a true story. Okay, I come under his authority. Jesus held scripture in the highest possible esteem. He knew his Bible intimately and loved it deeply. Often spoke with the language of scripture. He easily alluded to scripture He wasn't going, oh, wait a minute, I need to look that up. He alluded to it because it was in him. It was overflowing out of him because he knew it so well. And his moment of greatest trials and weakness, like being tempted by the devil or being killed on a cross, he quoted scripture. He said to the devil, it is written. He could have said, I was actually praying yesterday and uh, I felt that actually I was encouraged in this direction. And that, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But he didn't go there. He said, it is written. That is the solidarity that he stood on. And the devil had to flee. It is written. The devil had no other answer. And on the cross, he also quoted scripture. That's where it came out all the time. Let's go back to Paul and Timothy. Paul has seen many people shipwreck their faith, leaving the faith, even doing him and themselves harm in the process. So he turns to Timothy and he says, look, this is where the battle is. Fight. Hold on. He warns Timothy not to be like the deceivers and deserters. He says, look what you've inherited. Look what you've gained. Continue in it. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to stick with the scriptures in a society that is so hostile to them. And I, want, I feel God wants, you know, he wants to help us with this today. This isn't a word that wants to condemn you today, but to say, stand strong. 
We are in a difficult situation here. We're standing in God's word when other people are saying, we left that a long time ago. We moved on from that. That's a bit archaic. Come on. Grow up. And we've got to somehow stand strong in our age. We can so easily compromise scripture, can't we? We can say, well, my friend says this, and what is everyone else saying? What is everyone else thinking? And we can hear stand-up comedians who make fun of it, and we can think, oh, they've actually got a good point. We can compromise it rather than saying, no, I stand on this. We can listen to great philosophers and scientists say things that are directly against what it says in here. We can get really rocked. But if we've got this saturating us, we can stand strong. Maybe more importantly, we get compromised by our feelings. Well, what I feel isn't in line with this. Well, get your feelings in line with this. This is the breathed out word of God. What about my preferences? I think my preferences is what I'm going to choose. Well, your preferences need to be submitted to the word of God so you can stand strong, so you can, it can be a light to you, as we read just now. We even think our intelligence is more superior. Oh, come on, this is old stuff. I'm, I'm more intelligent than that. Where is our... It's, it's contempt for the breathed-out word of God. We, if we believe this is the breathed-out word of God, there is no greater intelligence. We mustn't cave into the voice of our age. There have been so many voices of so many ages, and this has stood strong throughout. The word of God is strong, and it will last Just a challenge here as well. Even when we want to hear from God, we often go to other places. Sometimes you might be somebody who's you feel like you're you're always desperate for the next prophecy. I need to hear from God again. I need to hear from God again. Let me just close this. I need to hear from God again. I need to hear from God again. And I'm not against prophecy at all. I'm for prophecy because the Bible says eagerly desire prophecy. But if we're closing this and not letting God speak to us through the word, it doesn't make sense that when we say, I'm desperate to hear from God. And he's saying, I've written you the book. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness in here. We can go to mysticism and go to kind of mystical poems. Or maybe we just, I just need somebody to tell me I'm okay. I just need someone to tell me that that God's with me. God says he's with you in here. He says, I'll always be with you. Even until the end of the age, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It is written. Let's be like Jesus and say, it's written. That's where I stand strong. If one more person quotes to me the footprints in the sand poem and says it's from scripture, I'm going to throw something at them. It's a nice poem, but if you want to know God's with you, read the scripture. Where Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I descend to Sheol, you will find me. Even darkness is as light to you. Psalm 23 says, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. That's what I need to go to. Well, I prefer the poem. You shouldn't. You should prefer the breathed out word of God. We've got to stand on this and take it for what it is. If we're going to be strong, especially in a hostile culture. The purpose of Holy Scripture is not ultimately to make you smart or make you relevant or make you rich or get you a job or get you married or take all your problems away. 
or tell you where to live. The aim is that you might be wise enough to put your faith in Christ and be saved. As he says to Timothy, wisdom unto salvation. Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What better wisdom is there than that? I can know Jesus and be saved. Nothing else in the world has that ability. The word of the prime minister is important. The word of your parents is to be honored. The word of your spouse is to be treasured. But only the word of God can save. Only in scripture do we encounter the fullness of God's self-disclosure. Only in scripture do we find good news for the forgiveness of sins. Only in scripture can we be led to believe in Jesus Christ and by believing have life in his name. Keep going, Timothy. Keep going in the Bible. Keep growing in the gospel, Timothy. Paul's saying to us, keep going. Hold on. Then you'll have good news to share. You'll have wisdom to bring. You'll have help to give. Some of us may think, I I haven't really got a lot to bring to the table. If you know this, you've got so much to bring. If you know this, you've got help. You've got wisdom. You've got good news. Good news to share in this book. Let's keep going in it, pushing into it. And Paul ends the passage by giving specifics of Scripture's practicality. He says about teaching, reproof and correction, training in righteousness and equipping competent Christians. Let's just quickly have a look at those. First of all, teaching. The Word of God teaches us. It tells us who God is and what he demands. It tells us who we are, why we're here where we're from, where we're going. It tells us about love and marriage. It tells us about life before our life and life after death. It tells us about sin and forgiveness. It tells us about Christ on his cross and how we are all lost, but how to be found. This is what we can find in this book that God has so graciously given us. He talks about reproof and correction. You may not use that word reproof often, uh, Reproof basically means kind of stopping. So the word of God will stop us in the wrong tracks but then in, and correction. And then it puts us on the right tracks. It convicts us of the wrong and it guides us to the right. It stops us short when we mess up and it sets us back on the right path. God gave us the Bible because he loves us enough to tell us what he thinks, and to tell us how to live. He's, he's a good father. He wants to tell you this is how you're going to get the best out of life. Come and listen at my feet. Come and listen to what I have to say to you. Sounds good, doesn't it? He says training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. I mean, imagine sportsmen and women and things you have to train at university for things. Training in righteousness. No one succeeds at the highest level without training. We've got to practice, we've got to train, we've got to study. We must give ourselves to the word that trains us and shapes us if we want to mature. In righteousness is to mature, to grow, to be more like the Father. The Father wants us to be, to grow more like Jesus. We're going to grow as we train. We give ourselves over to it. And finally, to be competent Christians. For every good works. Christians... Uh, that are competent, no, the Bible builds us up so that we can endure suffering, as Paul's been saying. It gives us discernment for difficult choices, makes us strong enough to be patient with others and patient enough to be kind to others. 
It sends us out to care for the poor and welcome the stranger. There is no limit to what the Bible can do for us, what the Bible can do to us, and what the Bible can do through us. It guards us from all other falsehoods in the world. So Paul is saying to Timothy, Paul is saying to us, hold on. Hold on. Hold on to it. Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the teaching. Hold on to the word of God. It's living and breathing. It's active. We must hold on to them. The truth that we stand in is that Jesus Christ, revealed in Scripture, came to save sinners by dying in our place and giving us his righteousness freely. Teaches, trains, reproofs and corrects and equips us. Let's just stand together, shall we? I want to pray for you, especially if you're somebody here who doesn't yet believe. I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for all of us that we would stand on the word. In fact, that we would stand under the word. Let's just close our eyes. Father God, we're just so grateful for your graciousness, for your loving kindness to us, poured out to us first and foremost in your son on the cross, that you would die, that you would give of yourself fully for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you even surrendered yourself to the word, that you believed the word was breathed out by your father and you submitted yourself to it. I do want to repent of where we don't hold your word in high enough regard. And I pray, Lord, would you help us to stand strong, hold firm, hold tight, fight the good fight of faith, even against this culture which is so against your word, even sometimes against our own preferences or our own feelings, to say, I believe. We sang that song earlier. I believe in God the Father. We believe all the things in that song because they're in Scripture. And Lord, help us to stand on your word. I do pray for any person here who doesn't yet know you, Lord. I pray that as they look in the scriptures, that they would find you are quick to draw near. You say, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I pray that many among us would find that to be true. Many, that we would see hundreds in this town, thousands and hundreds of thousands across this nation, come to know Jesus living in his scriptures. As they look, they would find you. Holy Spirit, be gracious to us as a nation. Be gracious to us as a town. Be gracious to us as a church and as individuals that we would know you among us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.